A number of years ago, I read a book by Walter Anderson. It was entitled, Courage is a Three-Letter Word. And what he said was that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is saying yes in spite of your fears. It was a powerful book. I've remembered it now for a number of years, more than 30 years. And recently I saw an interview with Walter Anderson. He's now 77 years old. He's had an amazing career. In the end, he wound up being the editor-in-chief and the CEO of Parade Magazine for 30 years. You may remember Parade Magazine. It was in the middle of the Sunday paper. He took it over when it was struggling, and he grew it to a, a subscription of over 36 million. He was incredibly successful in what he did as editor and then the CEO. Now, he was someone who's now written five books, all been very successful. He's written three plays that have been produced. Well, he's 77 and he's still going strong. But he has this wonderful story. He was born in Mount Vernon, New York. And he grew up in what he said was really a difficult part of the town. There was lots of violence on the street. But he said it was nothing compared to the violence in his own home. His father was an alcoholic. Whenever he got drunk, he was abusive to his mother and, and to Walter. And the place that he liked to try to go flee was the home of Miss Elsie Williams. Miss Elsie was a teacher, and she lived there in his neighborhood. And he said she was the smartest person he knew. She was just wonderful and kind. He wanted to go to Miss Elsie's home. And it helped the fact that her son Barry was Walter's best friend. They would do everything together. And now later in life, looking back, he thought it was fascinating, really, that he and Barry were such good friends because they had so little in common, really. I mean, it turned out that, that Barry uh, lived in a home, whereas Walter lived in the projects. And Barry, well, his home was one of peace, and Walter's was one of violence. Barry was kind of tall, thin, good-looking, Walter said he was sort of short and chubby. Barry was black. Walter was white. He said the only thing we really had in common was we both loved his mother. She was such a wonderful and sweet lady. And she cared so much about both of these boys. She was always telling them, now you've got to work hard. You've got to do your homework. You need to get a good education. But that was hard for Walter with the kind of background he was coming from. No, he found himself always getting in trouble at school. So much so that in the end, Miss Elsie decided to step in and to help him. She went to his parents and said, what if we got Walter into a, a parochial school? I think he could do better than in the public schools. And so they did. And he managed to make it for a year and a half before he got expelled from elementary school. A year and a half. Expelled from elementary school. Well, when that happened, it was Miss Elsie who stepped back in again. And she said, I think I know another school where Barry goes. It's another private school. I think maybe this will be the good one for you. So she managed to get him a scholarship, full tuition, so he could go to this private school along with Barry. At the same time, she was always trying to help these boys, saying, do you understand you've got to get a good education? Are you doing your homework? And one of the things she did was she would sit them down and she would start telling them a story something from a great novel. 
like great expectations. And she would begin telling the story. There was this boy walking in a cemetery and he hears voices. And she would tell the story and keep on going and get far enough into it to really hook them. And then she would say, now if you want to know the rest of the story, you have to go check the book out at the library and read it. And Walter said, I would. I was so hooked into the story, I would go to the library and I'd check the book out. And what I discovered was two things. What I discovered was I love to read. And two, the library is a quiet and safe place. It became one of the places he would always love to go. And so it was. He continued to read. He did well. I mean, in this new school, he would go all the way through the eighth grade and he would excel. Walter was smart. When he got to the eighth grade, Miss Elsie was there again. You boys need to go to a, to a college preparatory school. She found two. They both went and interviewed. They both got accepted to both schools and got full scholarships. Barry chose which one he was going to go to. And then Walter decided that he wanted to stay closer to home. It was so hard to go tell Miss Elsie, thank you for making all this happen, but I think I want to, I'm just going to stay closer to home. She didn't get upset. She just said, Walter, do you understand? You have to get a good education. He said, I promise I'm not going to get in trouble. He started the ninth grade, and what did he do? He got with the wrong crowd, and he promptly got into trouble. He began spiraling right downhill till finally in the 10th grade, he dropped out of high school. He hated to go over to Miss Elsie's house because he knew how she felt about that. But he still wanted to see his best friend Barry whenever he was in town. But whenever he went over to the house, Miss Elsie was not condemning or angry. She would just still say, Walter, you have to get a good education. Do you understand? You can do this, Walter. You can do this. Well, Walter finally decided to enlist in the Marines. He enlisted in the Marines and... And before long, he found himself in Vietnam. Time was going by, and he knew that he'd be up with his time when he was 21 years old. And he got to thinking to himself, I'm going to get out of the Marines when I'm going to be 21, and I'm going to have a ninth grade education. And while he was there in Vietnam, he began hearing those words of Miss Elsie, Walter, you have to have a good education. You can do this. So he went to his commanding officer and said, I've heard about a thing called a GED. Could you help me with that? So he helped to get him enrolled. He started working on his GED. He did super. Then he started taking college courses. When he finally got out of the Marines, he went and enrolled in college. And a few years later, he would graduate valedictorian of his class. And when he walked the stage, who do you think was sitting out there? Miss Elsie Williams, cheering him on. Walter, you can do this. I told you you could do this. He decided he wanted to be a newspaper reporter. So he started being a newspaper reporter, which led him to the magazine. And lo and behold, he'd ultimately become the editor-in-chief and then CEO. Just have a phenomenally successful life that made such a difference. But I saw him being interviewed, and he was reflecting on his life and I want to read you what he said. My life would not be where it is today except for one person. 
Miss Elsie Williams. What I learned was, no matter what I did, she wouldn't quit on me. No matter what I did, she wouldn't quit on me. And that is the whole message of this four-week series of the prodigal son. That no matter what you have done, God won't quit on you. For four weeks now, we've been looking at this story of the prodigal son. Today, I want to bring this sermon series to a conclusion. We've been looking each week at the painting by Rembrandt. One of the most famous paintings in the world, The Return of the Prodigal Son, painted in 1669. And we've learned that this painting does not really show you the story of the prodigal son in a chronological order the way it's shared in the Bible. But what it does is it tells you the spirit of the story. You're able to see the younger son. The younger son went to the father, I want my share of the inheritance, went into a faraway country, made decisions in his freedom that made a mess out of his life until he decided to turn and to try to come home, knowing he would never be accepted back as a son. He believed. And so now in this painting, you see the son, the younger son. He's on his knees before the father. His shoes are tattered. His clothes are worn out. His head is shaved. He's bent over and He's hoping he can be accepted back as a servant. No, you sense the understanding of the, of the younger son who's made a mess out of his life. He's come home. And then standing off to the right side of the painting, well, then you see the older brother. And the older brother is standing there. He has on a beautiful robe. He has his long beard. His clothes are beautiful. His hands are held together and clenched. And he looks on his younger brother with disgust. You can see it in his face, in his eyes. He despises him. Now we have looked at this and what we've been able to see is that both sons have been lost. Both sons have left the father and separated themselves from the party. The younger son, in his freedom, makes poor decisions and chooses to go away and makes a mess. The older son stayed home. He stayed home and tried to do what the father asked, but he did it begrudgingly, with bitterness, and now he's angry at his brother. He, too, is missing the party. Two sons both get lost. But in the painting, we also see the father. The father who has this long beard with gray in it. He has on a beautiful robe. But he has his hands lovingly placed on his younger son's shoulders. And we know in the story it says the father saw his son at a distance and ran to him. And he hugs him. He didn't even make him come all the way home. He hugs him and tells the servants, bring a robe and put it on his shoulders and shoes on his feet and a ring on his hand. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. It is the father who's gone looking for the son. When he sees the son coming, yet at a distance, the father goes to find his son. With the older son, 
When the father learns he won't come into the party, the father leaves the party and goes to the son and tells him, come to the party. The father doesn't love one son more than the other. He loves them both. Even though they are very different and one is being separated because of one kind of decisions and the other through different kinds of decisions, the father takes the initiative to go to both sons. Because the message is that no matter what you have done, the father doesn't quit on you. It is the message of the story and it is the message of the painting. And it's why I would really say that I don't believe the title, the story of the prodigal son, is the right title. The title of this story should be The Parable of the Loving Father. Because it's not just about a prodigal son, it's about an older brother. And we all have some of both in us. But what's really important is the loving Father. For here we learn about the nature of God and our relationship to God and to one another. It's what I want us to think about on this last morning. And I want to say three things. First of all, I love the statement in the scripture when it says, while yet at a distance, he saw the son at a distance and he runs to meet him. Jewish men did not run. That was not dignified. He runs to meet him. It's the father who goes out to the son. Now, I think you and I identify with this part of the story because that's the one we probably all feel the most. We've all made poor decisions. We all have sinned and we know it and we want to be able to come home and be forgiven. We identify with the prodigal son. The message is you are forgiven. You get to come home to something you never imagined to be taken back as a son and not as a servant. My friend Rod Wilmoth is a Methodist pastor. He has passed away now. I love Rod. He tells a wonderful story of how one day he was on an airplane flying to another church conference. And, and he came in that day and he sat down and he got out his book. He was just kind of tired. He didn't want to talk to anybody. He just wanted to read. But the plane kept filling up and a man came in and sat down on the middle seat. And he kept trying to strike up a conversation with Rod. He seemed a little nervous. He seemed to want to talk. I don't know if you've ever had that experience when I'm just sitting there wanting to read and not talk and someone's determined they're going to visit with you. And that's what was happening to Rod. So he finally closed his book, looked over at the man and said, so tell me, where are you traveling to? The man told him. So are you going there on business? No, no, I, I don't have a job. Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, let me tell you, if you just keep looking, I think that you'll find one. You know, that's the kind of thing that so often what looks bad now is good then. You'll do it. Rod was really trying to encourage him. And finally the man said, the reason I don't have a job is I just got out of prison. Oh. He looked at this man. He looked to be probably in his 50s. He didn't say why he was in prison. Rod didn't ask. Finally, he said, do you have family? Well, my wife divorced me. And my children have not come to see me while I've been incarcerated. 
it was a couple weeks ago, as I was getting near being released, that I got a letter from my mom and dad. Enclosed was this plane ticket. And they said they would love it if I would come home and I could stay with them and start over. So that's where I'm headed. I'm going home so I can start over. And Rod said his chin began to quiver and then he said, you don't know what it means to have somebody who wants you to come home. The truth is, God forgives what people find it hard to forgive. That God is more merciful in judgments than people are. That it is God who has gone looking for you so that no matter what you have done, He's never quit on you. It is the promise that somebody wants us to come back home. And while he was yet at a distance. And so secondly, you and I don't have to go find God. You and I need to put ourselves in a place where God can find us. We've just said it's the Father who goes out to see the Son. It is the Father who goes out to see the older brother. You know, in some ways it's harder for the older brother to come to the party than it is the younger son. Because the younger son is easy to see. I have made mistakes. I have sinned. I am wrong. I need to come home and be forgiven. The older brother... It's harder for him to see that. He feels like I stayed home. I did everything you commanded me to do. I've always been here. It's harder for him to see that he has put himself in such a bad place with the father and the brother. It's the older brother who needs to forgive the younger son. And then he needs to ask for forgiveness for what he has done to the family. The way you put yourself in a better place so that God can find you, it's all about offering forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. Because it's only in a spirit of forgiveness that we find family. And if the older son ever wants to come back into the family and go to the party, he will have to offer forgiveness and ask for forgiveness. You know, I love watching Rick Steves. I know most of you know who Rick Steves is. He is the travel guide. He writes books. He does all kinds of videos. I love watching because he will tell you, here's a great place to go stay and here's a great place to go eat. But more than that, he's traveling all around the world. He's showing you these really cool places and he's always telling you history, telling you stories about these places. The other day I was watching him and he was in Scotland, and he was talking about the video. He, he'd gone to this little town called Oban, and there is the Oban Distillery for Scotch whiskey. It is the sixth oldest distillery in all of Scotland. 
And it's right near the little town of Glencoe, this whole little valley. And Glencoe is this beautiful little um, island there, kind of or valleys and islands and lakes. And it's all so beautiful, Oban and Glencoe. And he's talking about it, and then he shows you this little island out in the middle of this lake, and he says, that little island is known as the Isle of Discussion. And I said, it's the McDonald's who lived here in this area of Oban and Glencoe, this McDonald clan, for hundreds and hundreds of years now. And they had a tradition in this area that if someone in the clan began to fight, if two people begin to argue and they're tearing community apart, the head of the clan had the ability to say, you are going to the Isle of Discussion. I guess it's kind of like being sent to time out. <laughs> you're going to time out. No, you're going to the Isle of Discussion. And people had to go. He said, you don't get off the Isle of Discussion until you have resolved your conflict. And you would be put out there with some cheese, some oat cakes, and a little open scotch. And you're put onto the Isle of Discussion and now you stay there until you finally agree. And when you finally have agreed, then you go to the Island of Agreement and there you write out what we've agreed to do to settle this and it's written down so people know this is what we agreed to. And what they discovered was that when people were on this Isle of Discussion and they got to talking, invariably you would have to offer forgiveness and you would have to ask for forgiveness. Both people would. And it's only when forgiveness was offered and when forgiveness was asked for that there was family. It's what the older brother would have to do to offer forgiveness and to ask forgiveness from a younger son a younger brother, and from a father. It's how you put yourself in a place to experience the grace of Christ. It's not about you now doing all the right things to go find God. God is already looking for you. It's about putting yourself in the place to let God find you, to experience the grace that is already being offered to you. And so third, this story is not just about us getting to receive forgiveness. We all like that because we know we all stand in the need of it. Whether we are the younger son, the older brother, we know we all stand in the need of forgiveness. So we like the story because of that. But the story is more than that. The story is also about telling us that we're called to be like the Father. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Be ye therefore compassionate as your heavenly Father is compassionate. This story is supposed to reveal to us the nature of God. And we, though we are not God, are supposed to be like God in the way that we treat one another. The one who goes looking, the one who offers forgiveness, the one who offers encouragement. When we are like the Father... It helps to create family and we all come to the party. We are reminded of the truth that no matter what we have done, God has not quit on us. 
And we're not supposed to quit on each other. It's about really living in that spirit of forgiveness that helps us to be family and come to the party. Today, on the other side of the world, the people are celebrating Pastor Nadia and her retirement. Pastor Nadia, if you've been coming here for a while, know is the lady who has been the pastor at Ulyanov's United Methodist Church in Ulyanov's Russia. It's hard for me to believe that this coming June, 40 of us traveled to Ulyanov's Russia, one year after the wall had come down. It's Vladimir Lenin's birthplace, town of about maybe 800,000. We traveled to Ulyanov's. We went and lived in people's homes. We didn't stay in hotels. We lived with people. They were the host. And then we would bring them here to Oklahoma City and we would host them. It was an incredible experience and, and we had hoped that we'd start a church. And so we went, we met with people and sure enough in the end there were some people who wanted to start a church. Brian and Lorena Kent were living in California and through a wonderful God story that I've shared before, we were able to find each other and they went to go live in Ulyanovs, Russia, and there they were the first pastor. They did a wonderful job for several years, and then they came home. We weren't sure what we would do, but Tom and Nancy Hoffman, Tom was on staff here as a pastor, and it was Tom and Nancy who heard the call that they would go to Ulyanovsk, and they went there for several years. And because of the work they did, truly, a church was established. But it gave us enough time to raise up people from there, and Pastor Nadia was from Ulyanovsk, and she came to the church, and she heard the call, and she got schooling, and she became the pastor, and she's been pastor there now for years. And now she's retiring, and we were celebrating with her. What a wonderful lady and a great work she has done. You may remember her daughter, Vera, came and went to Oklahoma City University, and she graduated. She stayed here. She got married. We have Nadia's grandson. Tim was born here, and now he has gone. They've moved to Denver not long ago. But our, our lives have become so intertwined, and it was just so wonderful, and celebrating with Pastor Nadia. But with all that going on, we all cut a video telling her how we loved her and wishing her the best. But it got me to thinking about that first trip almost 30 years ago, the first worship service we held. We traveled to the other side of the world, and one of the things we took with us was Bibles. If you were here 30 years ago, you know that what we said was, we want to carry Bibles to the other side of the world. These people haven't had Bibles in 70 years. They hadn't been allowed to go to church in 70 years. They don't own Bibles. They hadn't been reading the Bible. So we found where we could buy Russian Bibles, Bibles written in Cyrillic, and we got them and then said, why don't you mark on there your favorite scriptures that someone who gets this might want to read? Now, you couldn't read the words, so that was kind of hard to do, but you could go, all right, here's the first book. That must be Genesis, and the second is Exodus, and Leviticus. You kind of count your way right on through. Ah, here's Matthew, Mark, Luke. You could find Luke, even though you couldn't read those words, but you see the numbers, and when you come to 15, that's Luke 15, this must be the story of the prodigal son. And so you could highlight it, and then people wrote notes in the front in English that someone could get translated about your love for them and what you hoped for them. And so we got all these Bibles, and then we spread them around all 40 so that everybody's packing some extra weight to carry the Bibles to the other side of the world. 
we lived with our families for a week and towards the end we wanted to have a, a worship service. One worship service. No one had to come. Our host didn't have to come. Most did, but not all. We wanted to invite them. We put up signs around the town. We're going to have a worship service. We found a government building that had an auditorium where we could meet. I mean, just even the thought that a year ago this was the Soviet Union, the communist government that would not have allowed people to worship. And now we were meeting in a government building there to hold a worship service. We didn't know if anybody would come. We were prepared. We had some wonderful people on the trip who, who could sing and play the guitar. And, and so we were ready. They were ready to sing. And in the end, they did so beautiful. And we had the whole service all set up. And I'd been working on what was I going to say in a sermon. I mean, I really had struggled. What, what do you say to somebody who hadn't been coming to church in 70 years? What do you say to somebody who hadn't been reading the Bible? And you get one opportunity to preach. What do you tell them? I'm a storyteller. I wanted to tell a story. So I decided I'd tell them two stories. I believe the two most important stories that Jesus ever told. And so I told the story of the Good Samaritan, how we are supposed to love and help one another, even those who we think are our enemies, we're supposed to help. And two, the story of the prodigal son. How no matter what we have done, God has not quit on us. So we went through. We had a person who's going to stand up and read the Bible in Russian. And so the Bibles all got passed out. People had their Bibles. Many had never held one before. And she's telling them, here's your turn to such and such a page. So they could turn to the page, made sure that everybody knew where we were. And then they could read right along as she read out loud. And she read the scripture. Good Samaritan, the prodigal son. And so then I tried to talk a little bit about what those meant. And then when it was over, we had beautiful music that was very celebratory at the end, and we closed the worship service. When we closed the service, this was one of those moments where you felt truly the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit was present because suddenly everybody wanted to talk to everybody. There was this energy in this room. I mean, people were talking, they were crying, they were laughing, they were hugging. I mean, everybody was wanting to share with somebody else. I mean, you could have felt the energy in this room. It was so high, it was so powerful. And I was looking out in this room and I'm thinking, we don't speak the same language. We're from the other side of the world. We're from countries that have been told you're supposed to hate each other, your enemies. And that night, all you could feel was love. We were family, people sharing, common children of God sharing with one another. It was an incredible moment. And I was standing there when a lady came up who was a translator and said, this gentleman, he wants to talk to you. He really wants to talk to you. I said, fine. I looked at this gentleman. My guess is he was in his 60s. He was Russian. He looked like someone who probably had had a hard life. He had a long beard, steely eyes. And boy, he was looking into my eyes. 
And then through this translator, he said, all my life, I've been told that I am bad. That what I have done is wrong. And that I'm going to hell. And there's nothing I can do about it. This story about a father and two sons, I've never heard that story in my life. His eyes welled up with tears. And then he said, if I had not read it with my own eyes, I don't think I would have believed you. Because this story, this story changes everything. Yes, it does. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.